This is Joan Boney speaking. The devil says to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, Again the devil taketh him, Jesus, up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. Verse 9, And saith unto Jesus, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me, obey me, do what I say. Verse 10, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. In January 1980, I heard from God by the Holy Spirit, by an angel of the Lord, in a dream in the night. It was like a trumpet blowing in my ear. January 10th, 1980, I heard three words. Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. KWJS turned out to be a radio station. And I said to God, are you showing me to go on radio? I wouldn't know how to do that. And I heard from God immediately, call the radio station manager, which I did as soon as I felt the offices would be opened. And I asked to speak to the radio station manager. And I said to him, God might be showing me to go on radio. How would you do that? And he answered and said, send me an audition tape, 29 and a half minutes long, and if you fit our programming, we will offer you a contract. Within five days, I was broadcasting at the noontime hour on radio station KWJS. You just do what God tells you to do. At that time, I was attending a faith movement church in Farmers Branch, Texas, just outside of Dallas. Robert Tilton was the pastor, and when Bob knew that I'd gone on radio, he said to me, Joan, you need to become a client of Michael Ellison Advertising Agency. He can do you a lot of good. Bob was on radio, and he was one of their clients. At that time, Kenneth Copeland was one of their clients. So was Marilyn Hickey. And Jimmy Swaggart had been one of their clients. I called them immediately, and they weren't at all interested in me. But I had, as one of my coordinators, a woman that was a vice president at Braniff International Airlines. And she was very skillful in dealing with people. And she said, let me call them. I said, okay. 
she called them and then she came to me and said, you have been accepted as one of their clients. I have no idea what Barbara said to these people, but immediately they accepted me after she talked to them. They assigned me an ad agent, and he came to Dallas, and we met at my apartment. And he said to me, Joan, just one thing we want to suggest. They were extremely low-key and sophisticated people. He said, we want to suggest that you put on all of your mailing all of your envelopes, all of your written materials, these words. Send me your prayer request. I said, I don't want to do that. He said, you don't? I said, no. I don't want them to send me their prayer request. They should pray directly to God through the name of Jesus. Well, they never asked me to do that again, but he said to me, Well, I just want to say to you, you're missing a good bet. Because when you put that on your printed material and they send you a prayer request, they will usually enclose in the envelope some money. So you're really missing out on money. It was a fundraising gimmick. I was just shocked because a member of our church group once was in Marilyn Hickey's mailing list, and I guess they didn't take her off because she hadn't been there in years, doesn't even live in Colorado anymore. She received from Marilyn a small envelope with rice in the envelope, and Marilyn was trying to raise money somehow with that bag of rice and get them to send donations. Well, it sounds like Michael Ellison Advertising Agency to me. They never did that with me. I guess that was so long ago they've added it or something. It also asked them to send the rice back to Maryland. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand that at all. It's a fundraising scheme. What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and they will get you great big numbers of people to come and hear you? Do they have the power to do this? Absolutely. Do they have the power with radio stations to get you a good time to broadcast? Oh, yes, they do. You think they don't have power? They have big-time power to get you the very best spot. One time, Ellison's people said, Joan, we want you to go to Detroit and do a week of television. And we were going to put Marilyn in Detroit to do that week, but we want you to go do it. I said, well, okay. This is Ellison, Michael Ellison. They were very powerful in 1980. I don't know anything about them today. 
They could put you on radio. They could put you on television. They could get you a very good broadcast time, and they did. They were the path to greatness and big audiences. Jimmy Swaggart went to them, and my agent told me about this. He said he came to us. He was tired of having such small numbers of people come to his meetings. He'd only have 400 or so. We told him immediately what to do to get huge crowds. Stop preaching so much and play music. He was sort of a country-western-style piano player, and he could play that gospel music, and he had, I guess, other instruments with him, and I guess he sang. I never heard him. But anyway, instantly, when he stopped preaching and went into music more, the audiences grew, and I say audience because these were people being entertained by Swaggart with country western music. They weren't entertained with the Word of God. They were entertained with country western music, and I'm sure he would have preached some. I had a message from God in 1982. The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And I tried to get a message to Swaggart, but I knew it wasn't reaching him, even though I was pretty well known at that time, coast to coast. And I was even on two of his radio stations that he owned. One was KWJS in Dallas, and the other was in Houston. He owned those stations at that time. I couldn't get a message to him. I knew they were throwing the messages away, even though I identified myself as being a prophet of God, and I had a message from God for him, and I presented the message. So God told me, just go on your own radio broadcast and present it. So I did, name him by name. So I did. I went on my own radio stations. They were from coast to coast in the United States in 1980, 82. I went on my own station and said, I have a message for you. This is what God told me. Stop so much music and preach the gospel. They instantly took me off the air shut the program down on KWJS in Dallas and the radio station in Houston that was owned by Swaggart. But he got the message because the hate mail poured into our office from the Swaggart followers. Someone, though, carried the message to him. And every one of the big-time ministers that God told me to contact, I gave the message on the radio on my own broadcast, naming them by name, telling what God had said for me to deliver to them. As far as I know, everyone got the message. That was in the period of time around 1982. 
For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And if you as a minister do not speak what God wants you to speak and you speak something to make you popular, you're in a good deal of trouble. And it's trouble with God and God will deal with you. So the devil says, all these things will I give you if thou wilt fall down and worship me. I will make you big time. They have the power. These agents, they have the power to do that. So my agent said to me, there's just one thing we want you to do, Joan. We can fill Soldiers and Sailors Auditorium in Pittsburgh. We go to the pastors the week before you are going to have a meeting, and we get the pastors to send their people to your meeting. We can fill the auditorium. There's just one thing you have to do. Don't offend anyone with your radio broadcast. (laughs) I said, I'm a prophet. That's impossible. People are often offended by the message I deliver. Ellison's people only kept me four months, and then I got a phone call from my agent that was assigned to me, and he said, Joan, I have something I need to tell you. We are going to have to cut back on some of our clients, and unfortunately, you are one of the clients that we decided to let go. I thought I'd failed. I knew I was on the way to big time radio, television. I wasn't interested in television. I really never saw the purpose of television unless you could present scripture in writing as you were speaking. Now that makes sense to me. But this prancing back and forth around the stage and waving your arms and shouting at the people never appealed to me. I loved the written word of God. I still love the written word of God. And I tried to put that on the station in Detroit. And I spoke for one week on that station because Michael Ellison put me on there to speak. Often I have messages of correction for the church. That's what prophets do. They are sent by God to the church to correct the church. We're not sent to the world. Ezekiel explains all of that in Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel says in verse 1, Moreover, he, God, said to me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel, the church. So I opened my mouth, and God caused me to eat that roll, eat this message, and go get to that church and tell them the message. And God said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. 
Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee unto the house of Israel, the church, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel, the church. Not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely, had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel, the church, will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel, the church, are impudent and hard-hearted. Verse 8, Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads, as an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I give thee, that I shall speak unto thee, Receive in thine heart, and hear with thine ears. And go, get thee to them of the captivity, unto the children of Israel who have been taken into captive, unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear. We're sent to the church to bring messages of Warning to the church, messages of correction to the church. That's what prophets do, and the church always kills the prophet because they want to go in the way that suits them. The men want to marry divorced women, and Jesus said, Matthew 5 32. The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Well, they don't speak that at their meetings anymore, but I do. And they want to approve homosexuals in many cases and make them feel good about themselves. God loves you. But I speak Romans chapter 1, verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. 
And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Verses 26 through 28, Romans chapter 1. Churches have eliminated many parts of the New Testament Bible because they want to approve sinners. They want to make them feel good about what they're doing. No one gets saved that way. You get saved when you see your sin. When you see what you're doing is against Bible. My mother always loved horoscopes. When I was a young child, she would go to the drugstore and buy the monthly horoscope magazine and every day read my fortune to me that was to happen that day. She was not a Christian, did not attend any church, neither did my dad. They were both born again before they died. Somewhere along the way, I visited her. I was living in Dallas. She was living in the state of New Mexico in the United States. I visited her, and I opened the cabinet door in her kitchen, and I saw a set of horoscope mugs, which I had given to her to please her before I was born again. I got a garbage bag and put those horoscope mugs in the garbage bag. My mother saw me doing it, and she said, What are you doing? I want to keep those. You gave those to me. I didn't say one word to her. I just kept putting the cups into the garbage bag. She watched me go out the door. I went to the dumpster in the alley and broke the mug so nobody else could use them and left them in the dumpster. I came back to the house and she was just sitting there. I went in my room and got my Bible and came back and read Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abomination of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. She sat there for a moment thinking about this. And then she said, 
Well, I guess we'd better not do that anymore. She was born again instantly by agreeing with the word of God. I went back to Dallas and my uncle contacted me by letter and he said, your mother has really changed. She's really changed. She was born again. You tell the people the truth. You speak the words the Holy Spirit gives you. 1982, when God told me, time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And I spoke the judgment messages he gave me on radio, and stations put me off the air. I was having a meeting for the radio audience in Seattle, Washington. The radio station manager had always been very friendly to me. He was waiting for me at the door as I approached the room where I was going to speak. This time I noticed his countenance toward me was different. And George said, Joan, you have so many wonderful messages, good messages. Just speak those messages. If you keep speaking these judgment messages, I don't know what's going to happen to you. We may have to put you off the air. And the Holy Spirit just rose up in me and spoke these words. George, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message and I may as well be off the air. That word ruled the rest of my life. Speak the message that God gives you. If you don't speak that message, you don't have a message. There was a woman at our church back in 1980 who said she was a prophet, was considered to be a prophet. And she told me, she said, I go in to speak at a church and I try to speak pleasant things and they just sit there and sleep through my message. And then I finally warm up to speaking what God has sent me to speak, and they all get mad at me. <laughs> they wake up and get mad at me. Well, that's the work of prophets. That's what prophets do. They deliver correction to turn the individuals back to God. And in our case today, to turn church people back to the Word of God. I do that all the time. I'm always hearing them speak something that isn't true. And I speak to turn them back to God, to the Scripture, and most often they do get mad at me. But I've also had many people come across my path and get saved because it's the truth that saves the church. The truth. Once again, Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. The devil taketh Jesus up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. 
and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Obey me, do what I say. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The Lord is the Word. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But the Word was with God from the beginning. Absolutely nothing is equal to the Word of God. It's greater than riches. There's no counsel against it. When you hear a word from God, you don't pay any attention to anything else. You just go do that word. Nothing equals it. No marriage can equal it. Your children are not above the word. Nothing is above the word. Luke Chapter 9, Jesus says, verse 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall save it. So daily we hear the Word of God, and as the Holy Spirit brings it to our mind, if we're with another person, we speak it. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the Word of God. And he encouraged Timothy, the young evangelist, go ahead and speak and suffer. The persecution, because you will have persecution when you share by the Holy Spirit. If any man will come after me, the word, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Follow the word that I give you, speak the word that I give you. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, and one verse says, and the Gospels, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Verse 26, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words of him shall the Son of Man Be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. Psalm 1 Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the Word. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. The New Testament Bible is full of the law of God. It's filled with instructions from God. 
Verse 3, and he shall be like a tree. When your delight is in the word of God, you're going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You're constantly drinking that word and doing that word of God that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Verse 4, The ungodly are not so, but they are like the shaft which the wind driveth away. They have no root. They go this way, whichever the way the wind blows, whichever way they sing will make them popular. Not popular with God, popular with their own families, popular with the strangers they meet. The ungodly are like the shaft which the wind driveth away. Therefore, verse 5, Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. They're always leaving me. These church people come for a while, stay for a while. They hear me speak some word that they hate from the Bible, and they leave and go elsewhere. They won't stand in the congregation of the truly righteous because light and darkness do not coexist. You try turning that light switch on and see what happens to the dark room. And then when you turn the light off, the darkness comes back. But as long as you speak the word of God, you're sharing light. Verse 6, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Thank you for allowing me to share with you today. And now we offer some music for your benefit. Joyful music. This music was written by a great violinist that none of us have ever heard because he was born in 1700-something and there were no recordings in that period of time. But we have his written music. It's some of the most difficult violin music ever written. He was said to be one of the greatest performers on violin, and he did his own works, Concertos for Violin. His name is Niccolo Paganini. Now, he's just known today as Paganini. I found a wonderful violinist on the recordings offered by the website which we are using to present you this music. I had never heard of him myself. He's about my age. I think he's 83 or so. But he is absolutely magnificent violinist, as good as I have ever heard in my entire life. Salvatore Accardo. He is from, I believe it said Italy. And he's obviously very famous over there, as well as teaches at a university.
but he is one of the best violinists I've ever heard. And his biography on Wikipedia said that he was considered the foremost expert today in Paganini. And I believe it because I just listen to these offerings by this website and see which one I like best. And I chose him not even knowing who he was. I thought he was magnificent. The orchestra of the London Symphony matches him just perfectly. The sharpness, the brilliance, I thought it was a perfect match. So if you listen to this, listen to that violinist and listen to all the things he does on the violin. This man is incredible. This is concerto number two, movement number one. This is the London Philharmonic 1975 recording.
Thank you.